Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. in the service today and be willing to share your gifts and talents and and uh, we we just uh, love having you here and, and uh, are encouraged to see what God is doing in your lives as you're here part of our congregation I should just mention um, concerning uh, the Rudums um, Andrea had asked me to express to you um, that they're planning a funeral they haven't yet decided for sure but kind of leaning toward Thursday of this week and so just a heads up to the ladies serving on that uh, we'll be in touch with you more about that Let's just go right to our text for the day here as, as it's Palm Sunday. We're looking at Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. <clears throat> Luke 19, beginning at verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount, of, Mount called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you where you... On entering, you will find a colt tied on which there is no one who has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say to this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they, sent, they set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these are silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, for now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave even one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for this, your word to us, and as we Think about that day that you rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, Lord, and, and uh, things were coming to a culmination in the next days here, Lord. Uh, help us to see you, Jesus, for who you are declared to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so today is Palm Sunday, and we celebrate the fact that crowds of people followed Jesus and praised him when he was physically here on this earth, and especially on that day 
When he rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, he had reached really a peak of his popularity. Well, just what did they see in Jesus that set him apart from all others? Today, I'd like us to search this text and ask these questions. What did they see in Jesus? Who did people believe him to be and why? And what difference does it make for us today? People saw in Jesus that he was a man on a mission, on a mission to go up to Jerusalem. He was traveling with a plan. He knew where he was going and he knew why. If you look back in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9, it tells us this, that it came about when the days were approaching for his ascension that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. You get to chapter 18 and it tells us more. Then he took the twelve aside and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of the statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. Then we get to chapter 19, verse 10. And he explains a little further his mission. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And then now here in our text today, we see Jesus pushing toward Jerusalem and the things that he knew were going to take place there. And nothing could sway him from this mission. And as he went toward the city of Jerusalem, he passed through some small towns on the way there. He passed through Jericho. And that's where Zacchaeus had become a follower of Jesus. And from there he traveled about 14 miles to the town of Bethany, which was the home of these close friends of his, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus had recently been raised from the dead. And he stayed overnight there, and then the next morning he headed into Jerusalem. Very close to Bethany was Bethphage, which uh, then left about two miles to Jerusalem. So kind of picture it maybe a little bit like this. If you're coming along Highway 10 here, starting at Hawley and then traveling through Glendon and Dilworth and into Moorhead, except Jesus' trip was all uphill, and it's not that here, is it? Uh, Jesus was a man on a mission. And, and so when he got to Bethphage, he, he, he sent a couple of disciples ahead to find a colt on which for him to ride into Jerusalem. But, but notice, he, he didn't just tell them, well, go see if you can find a good deal on a rental donkey or something. He, he had a very specific plan in mind. And, and this also then shows him to be a, a man with extraordinary knowledge and insight. He knew the exact details of where to find that colt. He knew that it would be tied and that it had never been ridden before. He knew that owners would ask, well, why are you untying the colt? And he knew that they would be glad to give it when his disciples explained the Lord has need of it. And sure enough, the two disciples went. They found the colt just where Jesus said it was. And the response of the owner was just as Jesus had said. What else did Jesus know that shows that he had extraordinary knowledge and insight if you jump ahead in our, our text at verse 41 there and following, he also knew about the coming destruction of Jerusalem and, and the details of how that city would be leveled by the enemies a few years later. And sure enough, that also happened then in 70 AD, about 40 years after Jesus spoke this. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in that very manner. Jesus clearly had an extraordinary knowledge and insight beyond anyone else and those are all hints that he was really more than a mere man. And if that's the case, then is it not also possible that he knows about you and I? And he knows the things that we have done 
and even will do. What else did people observe in Jesus that day? Well, he was a man who was praised and even worshipped by many. He was going up to Jerusalem for this big Jewish celebration known as the Feast of the Passover, and there were multitudes of people in Jerusalem that, for that very event. And when they heard that Jesus was coming, they went out to meet him. And a crowd gathered from Bethany as well, and many of them had heard, you see, about the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and they were just excited to see this one to whom that miracle was attributed. And so the disciples brought this colt to Jesus, they spread their coats on it, lifted him on the colt, others spread their garments on the road for the donkey to walk over. Kind of a red carpet treatment, you might say, for Jesus that day. And as the crowds began to praise God loudly for all the miracles they had seen and heard at the hands of Jesus, they were thinking back to the things they'd heard about him teaching the multitudes and at one time feeding 5,000 people out there in the wilderness and then healing many people, including a lame man and, and then more recently a, a blind Bartimaeus, casting out demons and, and, and even raising people from the dead. There were actually three examples of that that they may, may have heard of, the widow of Nain's son and, and then Jairus' daughter and now Lazarus. And so this multitude began to joyfully proclaim, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. <clears throat> and imagine that scene and the people praising this one man and I, I compare it to maybe inaugural crowds for a new president or something like that. And, and in the next days, many of them then also gathered in the temple to hear this man teach. Crowds of people were just hanging on his words. And, and truly this was an extraordinary teacher and miracle worker. And, and he was loved by the masses. <clears throat> but he was also hated by some others. Some of the Pharisees standing nearby were, were appalled. And, and they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And they looked on this as blasphemous for a man to be worshipped like Jesus was being worshipped. And, and among other things, of course, they were also jealous because it seemed the whole world had gone after him. And here they were, the religious uh, officials, and, and no one was hanging on their words. Verse 47 tells us here that chief priests and scribes and other leaders among the people were seeking to destroy him. Well, how did Jesus respond to their rebuke that day? We, we get a picture here of a humble man who yet claimed to deserve praise. Kind of an interesting combination, isn't it? Yes, he was humble. He certainly could have entered Jerusalem in a more pompous way. He chose instead to come humbly riding on a donkey in a way really consistent with the rest of his life, which was a life of humble concern and service to others. <clears throat> and yet we see the interesting thing here is that he responded to the Pharisees who were telling him to rebuke his disciples for their praise. And his response here, he indicates that he deserves the praise of the people. And that if they didn't praise him, then the very rocks would cry out in praise of this one. John Stott, in his book, Basic Christianity, says this, The self-centeredness of the teaching of Jesus immediately sets him apart from the other religious teachers of the world. They were self-effacing. He was self-advancing. They pointed men away from themselves, saying, That is the truth. So far as I perceive it, follow that. And Jesus said, I am the truth. Follow me. And you know, here at, at Maranatha, we've been going through these claims of Jesus that he made about himself as we've gone through our Wednesday night Lenten services and how he stated, for instance, before Abraham even was, I am. And how he said, I am the light of the world. 
The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And, and on this coming Thursday night, uh, we're going to consider his, his statement, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. No other human has ever made claims like that and been taken seriously. And, and so what was the deal? Was he exaggerating and stretching the truth into the things he said? No, the, he and others really believed them to be true statements. And as we look further in our text here, we see some interesting things here. We see a, a man with a strong sense of reverence for God's house, so much so that when he came into that temple during the Passover and he observed the things that were going on there, he drove out the money changers. The Gospel of Mark tells us that he overturned their tables and their seats and he refused to let people carry goods through the, through the temple. He had this strong zeal for God's house being what it was meant to be, to be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers, not a place for opportunists. <clears throat> and then we see here not a Jesus then meek and mild like many would like to paint him to be these days, but one who hates sin and who calls it what it is, uh, no matter how it, or who it affects and what he says. He was also a man had, that had great compassion. Compassion for the city of Jerusalem. <coughs> Excuse me. He, he wept over the city of Jerusalem. And, and for those that didn't realize who this was among them. Look at verse 44 here. Oh, Jerusalem, you did not know the time of your visitation. The people of the city did not, for the most part, see their sins and their need for a Savior. And, and though they cheered him on that day, they didn't really grasp that this was the Almighty Son of God visiting Jerusalem. And isn't that where many people are at even today? They've heard about Jesus, but they don't really grasp who he was or is. Well, we've seen in this text things that people followed Jesus that they saw him in him. They saw him to be a man on a mission, a man with extraordinary knowledge and insight, a man praised and even worshipped by many, but hated by some others, a man with a strong sense of reverence for the house of God, a man with compassion who wept over this city that, he, that didn't grasp who this was among them and what he came to do. So who then really was he? We see here in our text some three names for him. Three different perspectives on who he was. Some people that day called him teacher. The Pharisees called him rabbi or teacher. A, a, a title really of polite respect, you might say. Um, they, they had to admit that this one had amazing knowledge of the Old Testament, even at age 12 there in the temple. They, they had to give him credit for insight into application of the scriptures because whenever they tried to trap him on some um, spiritual question, he always answered, well. But to them, he was a teacher and nothing more. And they could accept or reject his words as just one teacher. Many look at Jesus today that way as well, a, a great teacher. They can accept some of his words, you know, about loving your neighbor, for instance, and so on, but reject other words of his that they don't like, his teaching on certain subjects that they wish to have their own opinion on. Like, for instance, uh, there being many ways to heaven or something like that. I, I remember during my college years uh, at MSUM meeting a man named Jim. I, I was uh, part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and we'd set up a literature table in the student union, <clears throat> often during Holy Week, 
And Jim worked in the union, and he'd come by and chat with us there and uh, try to get into argument with me. And he, he was convinced that Jesus never really claimed to be the Son of God, just a religious teacher. And you see, claiming that allowed him to try to keep Jesus at a distance and live his life the way he wanted and not worry about moral issues connected to that and feeling guilty about those things. <clears throat> How about you today? Is Jesus just a teacher among many teachers to you? One that can be accepted or rejected without any real consequences? Or is he more than that? Well, there's another name we see here given to Jesus, and that is King. The crowd called him king that day, a title of authority and power. <clears throat> a king was often looked to also as a problem solver of political problems, and, and they hoped for such a one. The, the Jews had been forced to live under Roman rule. Many of them longed to again be a free and independent nation, and they knew Old Testament prophecies that told about a leader that would come and deliver the people of Israel. And, and they thought Jesus might be that king, the promised Messiah. After all, he'd already revealed himself with some extraordinary powers. And so they looked to him as a political leader, a problem solver. But they failed to realize that they had bigger problems than political ones. They had personal sin problems, rebellious hearts against a holy God, and they needed a savior from themselves and their sin. Today, too, many think we need a great political leader to solve our national problems. So they vote in a new president, put their hopes in him, only to find this one lets them down too. But they overlooked that, that more than a political leader is needed to straighten out America. We need a spiritual revival. We need a savior. Some in Jesus' day looked to him as a good teacher, others looked to him as a king. But who really was he? A guy named John Hick said this, and I quote, he said, he was a wonderful man. Perhaps the most wonderful man who has ever lived. Period. Is that it? Well, there's one other option mentioned here in our text, and that is the Lord. The disciples called Jesus Lord. They, they told the donkey owner, the Lord has need of it. Jesus had told them to say that, and so doing then Jesus himself was saying he was Lord. That Lord is a title that means master, owner. And the owner of that donkey colt realized Jesus was the real owner of his property. He was just a steward, and so he gladly gave his colt to Jesus to use. The disciples understood Jesus to be a teacher and, and king, and they were beginning to understand that he was much more than that. He was actually the Lord of the universe in human flesh. And, and that's what we declare here each Sunday. As we say together what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed, we say, I believe in God the Father, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. We don't have much time to look on at this here, but I want to just glance briefly at the scripture text that was read from Revelation today, and mention something we see in Jesus' letter to the church at Philadelphia as well. To that church, he called himself the Holy One, the, the True One. You see, to the people of Philadelphia, this would stand in stark contrast to the Roman government that was over them and had betrayed their city for their own gain. And as I understand it, the Roman government had actually required of the people of Philadelphia that they destroy their own vineyards uh, that were really the backbone of their economy at the time so that that would wipe out them as competition for ones that were near Rome. Jesus is reminding the church of Philadelphia he is not a corrupt leader like Rome. 
It's a good reminder to us, too, as we struggle at times with questions of who do we trust in our government? We know we can trust Jesus. He is the holy and the true one. Jesus also tells Philadelphia that he is the one who has the key of David. And one thing that occurs to me here is, is that David, in Old Testament history, David was the king who built up Jerusalem as this mighty fortress city for the nation of Israel. You might say he, as the king, had the key to the city. But King David had much more than that. He, he looked ahead to the promise of a savior from sin that would come from his bloodline. And hundreds of years later, then, Jesus came to be our Savior, born as a descendant of David. And Jesus then opened the door for all of us to enter heaven someday, and no one can shut that door. It is open for all who will come to the Father through him. And there's one more thing I just want to note in the Revelation passage. Um, there are promises there, as, as we've been going through in the last weeks here, there are promises to this church as well, to those who overcome to those who overcome the obstacles and they stand strong in their faith in Jesus till the end, to the conquerors, he has promised this. He says, I will make them pillars in the temple of my God. Remember that magnificent temple there at Jerusalem that was there when Jesus walked this earth, but that ended up being destroyed in 70 AD, just as Jesus had predicted? Well, the New Testament tells us that God is constructing a building not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And that building is the universal Christian church composed of all true believers in God, in Jesus Christ. We who are the, the body of Christ are the pillars of that temple. And then lastly, Revelation mentions the new Jerusalem, the, the holy city with streets of gold that, that Jesus is having constructed in heaven, where, where believers will dwell in, this very, in his very presence and they'll be free from all sorrow and suffering forever. That's what is promised to those who overcome the trials of this life and who remain trusting in Jesus as Lord, as the one who was and is, and who is so much more than just a wonderful man. But he's the Son of God, the Lord, the Holy One, the True One and our Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for the time to uh, come together and think again about what took place that day. It would have been amazing to be there as the crowds cheered you on, Jesus. And Lord, you came, you, you came with a mission, and you fulfilled that mission, and we thank you for that. You were willing to go even to the cross, that there could be uh, you could be a substitute sin bearer and, and take on our guilt on yourself that we could have forgiveness of sin in eternal life. And we thank you, Lord, for that. And we pray that if there be somebody here today who has not really dealt with who you are, that even today your word would show them that you are much more than even a, a wonderful man, but you truly are the Lord of the universe. And may we all then bow our hearts in, in thankfulness to you for your sacrifice for us, and Lord, that we would respond wanting to live our lives and for you. Uh, we, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.